Hey, I'm Greg Johnson. I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Church Wood Forest. We want to welcome you to our podcast today. Our mission at Restoration is to empower people to become world changers by releasing them into their full potential in the kingdom of God. So that happens in a lot of ways, but on Sunday mornings, we gather together, we worship passionately, and then we open the word of God and we explore the application and the truth of how God's word can be applied to our lives. And so today, I hope that you enjoy this message from God's word. Hey, we don't want this in any way to be a replacement for church. Let it be a supplement for you. But if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us any week at 8 o'clock, 945, and 1130. We hope you enjoy the message. Welcome to Restoration. Guys, it's such a, a blessing to be here. I don't think about myself as a jealous person, uh, but in December I was journaling and uh, I just heard the voice of the Lord say, say, Brian, I'm going to ask you to do something, and I just want you to say yes. It's what I have for you. And anytime I hear that, I'm thinking the Lord's about to give me a boat. You know what I mean? Like a yacht or a boat, a crew, a bunch of money. I mean, that's the generous God that we serve. And so I'm waiting for my boat. I get a phone call uh, about three days. It was within three days that this lady's reaching out to me, and I assume that she's the assistant of a billionaire. And she says, you know, Brian, I got your name. I'm getting excited, and she says, uh, I'm at a little church that was formerly uh, a United Methodist church that we've left the church for what we believe is some compromise, their words, uh, to me. And I said, okay, uh, and we need a pastor. <sighs> Do y'all have a boat? <laughs> like, we need a pastor. And, and of course, the Lord is so sweet, um, and they already told me that my answer was to be yes. And so then she goes to tell me that it's five widows and, and a little couple that, that I get the pleasure of going every Sunday and, and leading this little church. And, and there's a dusty little hymn full of mold. And, and sometimes we'll break out, bring in, uh, you know, bringing in the sheaves. I mean, some of these beautiful classics. And, uh, and it actually what I found is what an immature worshiper I am. Right, and then I come here and I just say, you know, Sam and the team. That was just so, so rich and so beautiful, uh, and so it just stirred my heart. So I just thank you, and I, lo I loved worshiping with you guys. Uh, but I encourage you to also join my journey. Can you worship the Lord without the emotion? Can we worship the Lord when the sounds around us are your own voice, and it's not good? Uh, right? That's what I've noticed. My voice is distracting. Um, and so I, I just love what, I love this church. I love the worship. I was saying earlier, I just, I remember many years ago leading a church in Montgomery and thought about this corner, 2854 in Fish Creek was where a church needed to be. And then Jeff Wells called me and said, Brian, what would you think about uh, planting a church in Wood Forest with Greg Johnson. I'm like, that's perfect. That's a perfect idea. And, and then so they start meeting, and then through a series of events, actually Greg and I were in Israel, and you know, he's getting this call from Teddy and the church that was here. Just this little building that was here represented the church, and whether or not for them to, to merge forces, uh, forces and for Greg to lead the church. And, of course, that obviously became a yes, but to just see what the Lord's doing here is beautiful known Greg many years, and uh, 
you know, Greg and Yvonne, what a beautiful place. Y'all's leadership is so pure. Um, you know, I heard a great definition of, of holy. Like, I want to be holy, but I don't want to be pious. I don't want to be self-righteous. And I heard a great definition of, of, of holy that I want to speak over you guys. It's, it's, uh, it's pure. It's pure motives. It, it's without an agenda. And so I just pray that over this church, that, that as the Lord gives you influence, what's interesting is I'm not into building buildings, right? I don't like it. And I say that. There was, I was praying one morning. I had not thought about Greg. And, and I'm sorry, Greg, that I didn't think about you that morning. I just wanted to, his heart got hurt right there in that moment. Uh, but it was one of those rare moments that I wasn't thinking about you, Greg. And, and, and the Lord said, and I just felt very clearly, the Lord said to me, um, Brian, give Greg $10 million. Well, I didn't have $10 million. But he said, give him $10 million to build a church because I'm, I'm expanding his influence and I want him to be the father over Montgomery County. And, and so when and I tell that to Greg and then he tells me that, that God is expanding the building and, and much of it is funny, the number that he gave me was very similar. And some of that was the Lord rebuking me. Brian, don't, don't you tell me what I can build and what I can't build. First off, it's a rebuke of me, but it's also an elevation of Greg, and I can tell you this, when, 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 what, what the Lord elevates, the enemy wants to tear down. Amen. So I just encourage you guys, uh, you know, pray for Greg and Vaughn, pray for the leadership, because uh, the Lord wants you guys uh, to be part of, um, of leading out in this area. And um, we need leaders. But what we need is submitted worshipers. We need bold submitted worshipers. We need a body that does not self-protect. We need a body that does not self-promote. We need a group of believers that are just laid down and go, I'll take whatever comes my way as long as it's for the glory of Jesus. And so I just pray that over this house in Jesus' name. Amen. You. Uh, you're very welcome. Glad I could, <laughs> glad I could do that. Uh, you know, this morning, I have this thought. I'm always looking to, uh, I need to simplify things. Uh, I went to LSU, which means I'm not overly educated. And so we're a simple people. And so I'm like, how can I make this, how can I make this, how can I understand it? Because I've noticed in things in life that I understand I can actually accomplish. Like, that's the thing. And so looking at the, the, the life of Jesus, what did Jesus, what does he want to give us? And if I could simplify it in two thoughts, Jesus wants to give you life, and that comes from John 10, 10, not only life, but life in abundance. He wants you to give an overflowing life. He wants you to give more life than you need, and it actually overflows on other people. So he wants to give you life, and he wants to give you freedom. Right? We say, you know, the, the Apostle Paul said it's for the sake of freedom that you've been set free. So that's the path. That's the narrow path that I'm looking at every day. I'm trying to connect to life and freedom. And so if the enemy wants to destroy what Jesus is doing, it becomes really simple to understand. Here's the theme of the enemy in your life. He wants you to live in death and bondage. And so that's our journey. That's what we're looking through. And so every thought I have, everything that I'm encountered, I have a choice. I can plug into life and freedom or I can plug into to death and bondage. And that becomes all of our journey. And so I look at it and, and want to make a, a, an argument or a thought that many of us look at the garden and we think, man, how did we mess that up? 
Like it was paradise. Right? It was just this freedom. It was uh, walking in the cool of the day with God. And how did we blow it? Man, I can't wait till heaven so I can experience that again. I, I want to make a, the beginning of an argument today that that's actually what the Lord wants for us. He actually wants us to live in the garden. He wants us to go back to that place because the promise is heaven on earth. The promise is a new Jerusalem. The promise is you won't even need the sun and the moon and the stars because the radiance of the Savior is going to be so bright, it's going to light up the whole place. Like that's what we're, that's what we're dreaming for. We're not dreaming to go back to the garden. That's not what we want. We want that now. That's what's available to us now. And so if I look at the end of, of, of Matthew, at the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, Beginning in verse uh, 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here's what he said. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The next word says, therefore, circle that. Anytime you see therefore in the Bible, that therefore is, is connecting the next thought to, a, to an old thought. And so here's what he said. He said, guys, I've been gone. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given me. Now I'm giving it to you. Therefore, now you have the ability to go make disciples. After you receive the authority, after you walk in the authority, now and only then can you make disciples. And so that's the invitation. Because what he's saying again, if you look in Genesis 1, when they said, let us make man out of our own image, it says we're going to give them authority and dominion over the, the, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, and the wild animals and, of, the, of the land. So you look at it, it says, I'm giving Adam and Eve had authority of water, the sky and the land. That's what they had. So they had authority of everything. And so we gave it away, right? We gave it away. But so here, and so Jesus says that authority that I gave you, you gave away, I've gotten it back, right? That's, that's what he said. The king is back. I'm taking my authority back and I'm giving it to you. And many of us look at the garden and we, we, we go, man, how did they mess that up? They lived in paradise. They, they ruled over everything. They walked with God. And how did they blow it? How did they believe the serpent that lied to them? So I want to give you a thought. Jesus has given us authority back. So we actually have authority, right? The Holy Spirit at Pentecost came to us. So we actually get to walk with God in us every moment. So we actually have the same authority and intimacy available to us that Adam and Eve walked in. And you know what? You know what happens every day? There's a serpent and he lies to you. And you're thinking, how did Adam and Eve believe that lie? the same way you and I believe it every day. It's actually the same lie. God isn't good. He's withholding. He's not who he says he is. Every lie you hear, and we receive them all the time. And so we're actually every day giving away some of the authority that was given to us because we're, the minute the enemy says something, so I'm going to give you an example. All of a sudden, there's a situation in your life, the enemy speaks to you, and you become scared. 
Does anybody ever get fearful in life? Do you ever go, you got to go tell somebody else, I'm scared to death. I don't think this is going to work out. You know what you just did? You just gave the enemy the authority in that situation. You gave it to him. Every day when I speak an oath, a bondage, or I receive a lie from the enemy and I start walking in it, I open that door. I have given the serpent enemy to rule in my life in that area over and over and over again. So what we're looking at is, is, okay, I've got that authority in me, but yet how come as a church, how come as a body of Christ, we don't walk in authority? How come we don't walk in rule? How come we don't walk in intimacy? Which again is the invitation, is what took place in the garden. So I want us to look in Matthew 8 and just take a picture of authority. We need to look at authority and we need to look at what does it mean to be a disciple. There's two things there that were in that passage that we need to, we need to start moving in if we want to see this city change, right? If we want to see God reign through us, that's just his plan, right? But many of us, we think in terms of, you know, I, my, my name's written in the book of life, but the truth is this is the best my marriage is ever going to get. This is the best my job's ever going to get. This is the happiest I'm going to be. It's the best my kids are going to be. It's the best name. Just the best whatever. That's what we believe because the enemy's convinced us that this life is what it is, but one day you're going to die and it's going to get better. That's what most of the body of Christ, now they won't say they believe that, but if we look at every decision and everything that we're doing and we're connecting to, that's exactly what we believe every day, right? And so we've got to change that mindset. We've got to understand the battle. We've got to understand what's available to me. And then the more I understand, that's what, the, that's what Jesus has for me. It's what he died for, right? He didn't he didn't die to get me in heaven. He got me. He died to get me because the king is back. He, he died for me to live in his kingdom now. And part of his kingdom now is also eternity in heaven. But if all he wanted was an eternity in heaven, the minute you said, yes, you're gone. You're delivered from this earth. He said, no, I want to reign with you on this earth. I want to be intimate with you on this earth. I want us to do this thing together. That's the, that's the thing that we get, and that's what we're running for. So let's look at authority and go, why are we not moving more in it? Beginning in verse 5 of chapter 8, it says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking him for help. Lord, he said, My servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go and he goes and that one to come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And so here's what this, this passage is. You've got this centurion. So what is a centurion? It's a Roman officer that has a hundred people that report to him, the century mark. So he's a Roman soldier with authority. And when he says to do something, they do it, right? Why? Because all of Rome backs him up. Right? Caesar, if he's ignored, then it just keeps going up the ranks till the full power 
of the empire of Rome comes down on the disobedience of the person that did not listen to the centurion. And so here's what this centurion goes to Jesus. He goes, hey, I too am under authority. So what's, it, what's the implication in that? What I see in you, Jesus, is I don't see a rogue individual. I see someone who is submitted to authority. I see someone who is submitted to, the, to, to Father God. I see someone who is, who is submitted to the Lord of Lords. That's what I see. I see that you, are, that you are surrendered and that you are under the authority of the great I am. That's what I see in you. And because he understood authority, he says this, because I'm under authority, I know how it works. When I tell anybody under my command to go, they go. And when I tell any of them to come, they have no choice to come. So guess what, Jesus? You don't have to come to my house. Just say the word. This is powerful. Just say the word. And it's done. You have an authority that backs you up, that the minute you say it, it's done. And we see that authority all throughout Scripture, that Jesus is just moving. And how do we know that Jesus is surrendered, that he's committed to his Father? What does it say over and over in Scripture? He only says what the Father's saying. He says, I only do what the Father's doing. He says, I have, a, I have a bread that I eat that you don't understand, and it's to do the will of my daddy. My daddy speaks, and I do it over and over and over. That's what we see in Jesus. He listens, and he does. But he listens, and he does without limitations. He listens, and he does without the enemy ever influencing him, right? We hear something bold. We hear God ask us to do something. We go, that's a crazy thought. I will pass. It's impossible. It's un- you can't spreadsheet that. You can't do it. Look at, look at Jesus when he showed up and he called his disciples. They were fishermen. They were, this was their industry. This was their job. They were a three-boat operation right? And they fished all night. They took it to the market, and that's how they got paid. That's how they ate. These professionals go out and fish because they're pros. They fish all night. It says they didn't catch anything. Jesus shows up. It says they're they're mending their nets. Well, they were actually licking their wounds. You can't, you don't, you don't mend a net that you didn't use. Like it hadn't done anything. So they're sitting there going, I don't want to go home. (laughs) Like I'm going to be in trouble, right? My kids are hungry, and I didn't make any money last night. That's the state we see them. Jesus shows up, and he says, hey, what are y'all doing? Any luck? No. Okay. Now, a fisherman fishes at night in the deep because, one, that's where the fish are, and, two, they go at night because they don't want the fish to see the nets, right? In shallow water in the day, a fish is going to see that net and go, hey, I think I pass, right? And so Jesus says to him, he says, guys, y'all need to understand what this, what, what, the way this life is supposed to work. He said... I want you to throw your nets on the other side, right there in that shallow water. And they said, Rabbi, we've done this all night. He said, just do it. And out of honor for him, they threw it. And instantly what happened? So many fish showed up that the boat was starting to tip. They had to call the two other boats over before they sank. Because here's what Jesus said, guys, like we don't hunt for fish. I don't hunt for fish. I don't go fishing. I tell the fish where to go. 
Now, I tell the fish where to go. He says, because remember that authority that we had? And I said, hey, Adam and Eve are going to have dominion over the fish and the birds. And don't we see that in the livestock? Don't we see that all throughout Jesus' life? He was never bound to the limitations of the world. He took the authority that was given to him, and he says, I'm going to just believe that I have authority over fish. So when you can't fish, I'll tell the fish to get in your net, and I'll sink your boat over it. Now, we look at that and go, Brian, that's a great story, but does that have to do with me today? Well, that's where we have to challenge ourselves. You know why it doesn't have anything to do with us today? Because we don't let it. But that's why, because we don't think that way. We think, man, I'm just going to get through this life, right? I just want my wife to not be mad at me. Like that would be, that's my goal today. I don't want her to be mad at me. I don't want her to look at me like, right? You know that look? I, I get them all the time. I'm like, man, if I can get through today without making her upset, I deserve it. But you know what I mean? Or whatever. That's our goal. And it's like, no, right? Our, our goal has to be that I have to live in authority and in intimacy and out of that, I can rule and reign. And so why don't we live in authority? I think it starts off with this simple thought. And guys, the hardest thing to do is to confess. Do you know what confession is? Biblical confession is to tell the truth. That's it. Now, if that leads you to tears, if that has you come up front, that, that's all an expression of what's going on. But the truth is, confession at any moment is to tell the truth to God. So we need to tell the truth. We don't have authority because we don't live under authority. Yes. Now, as a father of nine, how many of your parents? You got 20 rules. Your kids follow 19 of them. Are they obedient or disobedient? Are they under your authority or outside of it? Yeah. Guys, our Heavenly Father's no different. We love to pick and choose and go, hey, these 15 here... I actually like them. I think I'm going to do them. Feels good. I'm into those 15. I tell my kids, I said, you only obeying the rules that I have that you agree with is not obedience, it's agreement. That's you going, hey, dad, that's a great idea. I think I'm going to follow it. What I need you to do is follow the ones that you don't understand. I need you to follow the ones you don't agree with. And if not, you're not under my authority. And you know, I've noticed I have kids that have seasons of not being under my authority. You know what they don't have? When they're outside of my authority, outside of it, they don't have access. They don't have access to my resources, right? They're going to have to go fend for themselves during those times because there's an agreement. You come underneath my authority, you have access to what I have. You step outside of it, you're on your own. Very true in the kingdom. Guys, it's not about salvation. It's not about forgiveness. It's not about the mercy on your life. That is done. That is the finished work of the cross. When Jesus looks at you from a righteousness standpoint, he looks through a lens of, that are blood covered, and he goes, that is a righteous son and a daughter. That is different than whether or not you have access to everything in his kingdom, and I believe that is a function of being under authority, which under authority means I don't pick and choose. If the Lord says it, I do it. That's it. And again, so I think when the enemy tells us, hey, you're forgiven, I spent much of my life, here's what I believed I was as a Christian. I was very selective in what I believed, Right? I was very selective in what I chose to follow, and I, I thought, you know, I said a prayer at some point, I will be in heaven, but I'm going to be in the back row, right? You know, if you ever go to those big concerts and there's a jumbotron, this is really what I believed. I said, I'm going to be a jumbotron 
believer in the kingdom. I'll never meet the king. I'll see him come by, and I'll be like Zacchaeus. I'll, I'll climb a tree. I'll see him on a jumbotron. And here's the sad thing. You know what I believed? That's enough. That's how, that's what I, literally I believe. I told God, God, I am free enough. And, and in his beautiful sovereignty, he turned up the cranks and go, I don't think you are. And, and when he did, it was enough that I said, I do not want to live under bondage anymore. 15 years ago and was freed of it through a process and I can tell you, it's the greatest thing that, that has ever been given to anyone. And through that, I've been able to spend the last 15 years saying, Lord, use me to free people. Yeah. And what's fine, as I start seeing a work of freeing people, you start seeing generational changes. But somehow the enemy goes, well, you win for an eternity. Just let's forsake this life. Or the, the gift that's on the other side of whatever you have to do to come under submission isn't worth the gift. That's the greatest lie you'll ever surrender to. That's a Genesis 3 kind of moment where the serpent's telling you something. You know what's available for you? Genesis 1 and 2. That's what's available for every one of us. And we're not made, we don't see discipleship-making movements because we're not under authority. We don't see discipleship-making movements because we're not listening to the voice of God and boldly doing whatever that voice says. Because when that happens, you go, how do you bring heaven on earth? Listen to God's voice and do whatever it says. Boom, it's here. It's that simple. You do it, it's here. Boom, here. Yes, sir, here. Right now, here. You start thinking through it, it's not coming. What you did, what you just gave away is that doubt that you carry from the voice of the enemy. You just gave it to the person next to you. And that's what the community's full of, doubt and chaos and unforgiveness, right? And we're sitting there caught up thinking about the things that have nothing to do with this world. The enemy's got us so focused on a little distraction for today. And meanwhile, we're missing the opportunity to rule and reign this complete world, and we're sitting there just overwhelmed about running our family, which I think it matters. That's the first fruit of our life, those closest to us. But when I see a disobedience in a child, I, I was saying earlier, what I've noticed, the reason our children lie is because you lie. The reason my kids lie is because I lie, right? The minute you write that note that says little Johnny was sick, when you know y'all were at an amusement park that you sent to school so they had an excused absence, that's a lie. You know, so everything you said, hey, don't lie, that's not good, you just told them, well, it's not good unless it's good. And so we're modeling these things out all along. We're, we're modeling out compromise, and ultimately we're modeling out not being under submission, and we wonder why our kids are rebellious. Right? We've got this beautiful invitation. The Lord says, come underneath my goodness. And this is where you got to confess. You know why we don't come underneath God's goodness? Because we don't believe it's good. It's the only thing it can be. There's no other reason for me to say no other than I think that's a selfish ask of you, God, and that doesn't benefit me. Every command of the Lord on the other side of it is a gift that you get to walk in. That's all it is. We see in, in, at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, it says Jesus said, hey, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait. And I read that passage, and I just felt like the Lord said, Brian, do you see that command in that? I'm like, yeah, I see the command. He goes, keep reading. It says, because the verse goes on to say, it says, um, go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait on what? Wait on the gift. Every time the Lord asks you for something, he's trying to give you a gift. Every command, he's trying to give you a gift. Every, every act of obedience, 
It's not to see if your heart will come into alignment with it, to see he knows the makeup of who you are. What he's trying to say is, let me give you a gift. Will you trust me long enough for me to gift you? Will you trust me long enough like a child that won't jump in the swimming pool because they won't jump in mama or daddy's arms? And you're like, will you trust me? I swear you're going to like it. Then when they jump in, you can't get them out, right? <laughs> Kingdom of God's the same way. If you'll jump in, you'll never come out. Yeah. Right? You put a toe in, you get out. You jump in, you'll never get out. And that's for all of us. And so I just, I think it's important that you go through this next week. I would encourage you to spend every moment this week, every morning, get on your knees before the Lord and go, Lord, I surrender all. Will you show me any place in my life that's not surrendered? Will you show me any place in my life where I'm controlling it? Will you show me any place in my life where I say my will be done, not yours, but will you bless it? Because we live a lot of our life not asking the Lord. We're just going, Lord, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to pray that you bless it. You want your life to be blessed? Do what he says. Don't ask him to do what you want. Right? Because it's going to be better. There's a song out there. It says, isn't it like you? I thought I understood you, but isn't it like you to be different than I thought? Um, Totally blew the song, but it's a great song. Like, what is it, Greg? You know what I'm talking about. Different, but there's another part. I don't care about the artist. I like that, though. I'll come back to it. I, hey, come back to the 1130, and I'll know the song. Uh, I'll go listen to it. But basically, it says, you're different than I thought, but you're better. Right? But you're better. You didn't give me what I wanted. You gave me something better. And, and that's always true. It's always better, but if you take it the way he wants it. So just I encourage you, we've got to come under authority. If you want to begin to move in a different way, surrender all, give it all. And then the second thing is, I think, to make disciples. And for us to be a disciple, we have to understand what it means to be a disciple. And so if, if I look at it, if I ask you a question, uh, is Jesus, was Jesus, is Jesus a good discipler? And your answer would be, it has to be because he's Jesus, right? Now, if, you were, if I was going to ask you, if someone asked you, hey, is Brian Jenkins a good discipler? How would you make that, uh, how would you determine whether or not I'm a good discipler? You would look at my disciples, right? You would look at the people that Brian spends time with. Hey, I've noticed that when Brian spends time with people, they're no better. Don't send your people to him. Or, hey, I notice when people will walk with Brian for a season, they actually start having fruit and change. Brian's a good discipler. You would only look at me not by the words that come out of my mouth, but by the fruit of my disciples. And so I want to say to you, where were, when Jesus was, was arrested and the mob showed up, where were his disciples? They were gone. Got a question for you. Was Jesus a good discipler? He was, but it's not in what we think. See, we think a discipling is one thing, but I think Jesus was doing something else. And we got to, I think to understand what it means to make a disciple, we got to understand in what way was Jesus discipling his apostles? In what way was he discipling his people? And so... When we begin to look at it, I think, so we think in this question, did Jesus pray with the disciples? We have to say yes, don't we? But when you read the Bible, you're going to find he didn't. It said Jesus went off on his own. 
he was off by himself. And even to the point, the disciples came to him and said, hey, Jesus, we notice you go away and pray a lot and good stuff happens. And what did they say to him? Will you teach us to pray? Again, I'm not saying we don't need to pray. But what I'm telling you is if we, we've got to read the Bible and, and ask ourselves, what's it saying and what it's doing? Because someone that discipled me took me to Panera Bread early in the morning, and we had three bagels, nine cups of coffee, and we memorized Scripture. That might or might not be what it means to be a disciple. I don't know. We've got to ask ourselves, what, what was Jesus doing? And that's not what Jesus was doing. So what was he doing? So I think we can see in Matthew 16-ish, I think it's 16, they asked Jesus, Jesus asked the disciples, who did they say I am? And he goes, ah, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say some of the other prophets. And he goes, well, who do you say I am? And Peter boldly says, we say you're the Messiah. You're the son of a God. You're the son of the living God. You're the son of the one true God. And he goes, well done, Peter. The only way you could have said that is my father in heaven would have had to tell you. And then you keep reading literally the next paragraph. Jesus says, hey, guess what? Uh, we're, uh, we're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. And Peter goes, never. I will never let that happen. How dare you, Messiah, son of a living God? That's not going to happen. And what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan. Guys, I think he laid down what it means to be a disciple right there. I think if that's all you ever understood right there, here's what he said. How'd you know that? God told me, well done. Do we see Jesus affirming the, the, the disciples very often in the gospels? No, I'm not saying he didn't affirm them. It's not something that we see a lot of. And that's why it really jumped out at me that he's like, well, you got it, well done. And so he affirms Peter's like, that's well done. You heard the voice of the father and you said it. And then the very next idea, he said, that will never happen. And now Jesus rebuked him and says, Peter, get behind me. That's Satan. You're listening to the voice of Satan and you're spitting that out. That's what it means to be a disciple. You listen to the voice of God and you do what it says. That's what Jesus modeled out over and over and over again. That's why he went to lonely places. That's why he was up all night on a mountain. That's why he just consistently, he said over and over, I do the will of the Father. Well, the only way to do the will of the Father is to listen to him. Yes. Right? Half the church doesn't believe the Father's speaking anymore. Well, how can I, how do I know anything if I don't hear the voice of God? I understand. I absolutely have to know the word of God because if some voice is trying to deceive me that doesn't line up with God's word, I know it's an absolute lie from the pit of hell. But I also need the spirit of God to tell me which verse matters right now. Which one do I need to invoke in my life? King David's going to war against the Philistines. Do I go? Absolutely you go. You're going to be victorious. And God says, just go. The very next verse, very next story says, do I, I need to go battle the Philistines. Will I be successful? Absolutely you will. Go around. God's a yes, but his deliverance came in different ways for different seasons. I have to hear the voice of God so I can do and say what the Father's doing and saying over and over. And I have to begin to take every thought captive and go, what's the origin of this thought? Because if not, you're having a Genesis 3 moment over and over and over in your life. 
right? You're called to rule. You're called to live in intimacy. You're called to live in, in dominion. And all of a sudden, the enemy comes and tells you something, and the minute you receive it, you're moving into a place of separation, and you're going to move into a place of bondage. The minute I take any thought, the minute I feel anxious, the minute I feel scared, the minute I begin to worry, the minute I become hopeless, do you know every one of those thoughts are not of the Lord? It's not hard to figure out when the Lord's speaking. There's a fruit in your emotions. It's called love and joy and peace and patience and goodness. All these type things I can know. And when I'm connected to a different emotion, I've just had a Genesis 3 a moment. I've been, I've been deceived by a serpent that doesn't want me to walk in intimacy and rule and reign with the Father. And so therefore, I've lost and so we have this beautiful invitation, and we see Peter was always having the wrong answer. Then all of a sudden, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit falls on him, and we see, but that's why the disciples couldn't do it right. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. See, Jesus was modeling out intimacy with the Father through the Holy Spirit. We see in his baptism in Matthew 3, the Spirit came, fell on him, and stayed. It stayed in that moment. So now he can move because fully God that says, I make a choice. Equality with God is not something I, I choose to use to my advantage. So I became a servant. I became lowly. I became less than an angel, right? I became a man and decided to live as a man. How am I fully God? Because at any moment, I want to say I'm a king. I don't want to be a servant anymore. I have that right. But until I do that, I live fully, as I feel, I live fully in, my, in my limitations as a servant. But I'm a king anytime I want to be. Do you see the difference? But he limited himself and said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to disciple out. I'm going to model out. That's why he's able to say in John 14, everything you've seen me do, you'll do that plus more. You have access to more because the same power that raised Jesus, for the, that raises me or will raise me from the dead will be in you. And then not to mention that, I'm also going to be at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. So you get my spirit and me. Right? And so you start looking at it and you're like, whoa. Why am I just trying to survive? Why am I just trying not to lose my mind in traffic? Why am I not mad? I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there literally. I see a guy driving down the road with a mask on by himself, and I, my first thought is I'm offended. I'm being honest. I'm just, no, I'm, I'm being serious. The enemy tempts me to go, you scare me. I'm, I'm not being funny. Like, y'all might, because you might be laughing because you're like, I'm with you. And I instantly have to forgive them and go, man, I, Lord, they are connected to something that's not of you, right? They are scared of something that's not true. They have been deceived in a Genesis 3 moment. And so, therefore, I can't be mad But because the minute I'm mad, I just got deceived by their deception. Amen. Right? Guys, the, the enemy's not, not, I mean, it's very easy to see what he's doing when you see it. But then you caught on and go, well, I wasted three days in that lie. Right? Again, we all go through there. So the question is, how fast can I, can I catch it? How fast can I understand? How fast can I connect to the voice of God? And so, because I, if I will just live a life of hearing God, knowing it's God, and then being obedient to God, life is it. That's it. That's my life. It's not overly complicated. I just do and say what the Father's doing and saying. So my battle becomes, I can't connect to a lie because a lie comes with death and bondage. Yes. And so I just have to separate it. That's why I'm taking every thought captive. What's the origin of this thought? You only have two thoughts. Take yourself out of it, right? Because your thoughts are as dumb as my thoughts. You don't want your thoughts. You don't want my thoughts. There's God and there's the enemy. You've got a thin rail to live your life on. 
That rail only comes to the voice of God. And as long as you're on that, imagine a train that's not on the rails. It's just collecting dust. You're not doing anything. You get that, you get that train on rails and it cannot be stopped. That's you. That's your life. But the thin rails only come through listening to the voice of God and being obedient to it over and over and over and over again. And then my life cannot be stopped. I will rule and reign and I will make disciples that will change this world. But I have to think that way. What are two reasons? I'm going to give you two reasons and then I'm going to close up. Two reasons you don't hear the voice of God. Two main ones. There's a bunch of them. But the main two places that we live outside of God's authority, the number one is we live in bitterness and unforgiveness. It catches us all the time. Right? And, and there's some strong words. The God, if I, someone said, Brian, give me a word to describe the gospel, I would start with forgiveness. There's a parable of a, of, of a king that, that gets rid of a big debt. The person that had their debt forgiven goes right outside, chokes a guy that owes him nothing compared to what was forgiven of his debt. The king finds out about it and says, how dare you? Guys, how dare you? That's what the Lord's saying to us. Brian, but you don't understand. No, I don't understand. But what the Lord says, I do understand what you were been forgiving from. I do understand your hundred bags of gold that I forgave. And, and, and what you need to forgive is nothing. It's a rounding error compared to what I gave you for. It's not a choice. Come under obedience to it. And the other thing is the, enemies, the enemy cares about one thing really, for one big thing for your life. He wants you to live in secrets. He wants you to be deceived and believe that that secret that you have, you need to take to your grave. And I can tell you, you can take it to your grave. And I think you can still have an eternity in heaven. But if you know, I found about most people I meet, they want to live a life of significance it's not hard to live a life of significance. Listen to what daddy says and do it. And your life will matter more than you can ever dream. And if you don't forgive and you don't confess, you'll never consistently live in intimacy. You can't walk with God, so you can't rule and reign. It's just, it's just beautiful invitation. So, so as we begin to move towards communion, I just, I just, as we were singing, what's your yes? Because we've been asking God for more. And he's like, I'm dying to give it to you. Just go tell that person that thing. And the more is going to hit you on the head. But until you tell it, you're not getting it. Until you forgive your dad for leaving when you're three and abandoning you. Because I'm not saying that in a callous way. My parents divorced when I was two. I spent much of my time without a father. But... Until you forgive that, the more's not coming. And you might have a different more the Lord's asking you to. So let's just come into agreement, say yes to the more. We're going to take communion. Guys, we're back to the bread, right? No more wafer, right? And I tell you what, it's Hawaiian Jesus, which Hawaiian Jesus is my favorite Jesus, right? And so, but, but you take the bread, God, we're going to take the bread and we're going to dip it. The bread, all along we see throughout the, throughout the Gospels and through the book of Acts, every time they ate, they took, they took it and they said, man, this is, they were so connected to the forgiveness and the life found in Jesus. 
And they said, this is our Savior's body that was broken for us. And that's what you're doing. You're going to take this bread and you're going to rip it off and it's going to represent the brokenness of the body that was just for you. And then you're going to take it because, because the body without the blood doesn't matter, right? It's both. He had, to, he had to die as the lamb. He had to sacrifice his blood. And then it had to be delivered when he ascended to heaven and conquered death. It had to be delivered on the throne room in the heavenlies. That's what happens. And that's what we're saying. Thank you, Lord. Because of that, I can rule and reign. Because of that, you got authority back. Because of that, I'm no longer a stench in your nostril. We can now walk in the garden again. And I'm going to take the bread and I'm going to dip it and I'm going to eat it. And then part of my yes that Sam beautifully led us in, anything that you're not under authority, get under authority today. And you know how you do it? By confessing it. Tell someone. I have been unwilling to obey this. I'm coming into agreement with it. And if you need to confess something, if you have a moment of boldness right now, text somebody and say, I need to talk to you later today. You want to make sure it's going to happen? Send the text because the enemy is going to instantly snatch this from you. Any boldness you have, he's going to tell you, wait till tomorrow, wait till next week, wait till after your anniversary, wait till Memorial Day, wait till Christmas, whatever. Just wait. There's no waiting. Our surrender is now. Why? Because we want to rule and reign. We want to make sure that if this body will connect to the voice of God and boldly move in it. Ah, so Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that that's the reality. Lord, we thank you that you came and you died. You conquered death, but Lord, then you rose. You rose. paid it all, Lord. We thank you for that. So, Lord, we want to say yes to that. We want to live in intimacy with you. Lord, we just pray this in Jesus' name.